0: Welcome to From the Raptors, a podcast brought to you by Varsity Partners. Varsity Partners is a design led, fan forward company that provides creative and strategic solutions for brands and sports properties. And now here's your host, Vice President of Varsity Partners, Pat Flynn. All right, this week on the podcast, we've got Matt Brown, founder and publisher of Extra Points. Extra Points is a newsletter that covers the -the off-the-field forces that shape college athletics. Here we go. So, Matt, thanks again for for coming on. Really excited to get your take on college athletics as a whole. Um, And really first wanted to start by talking about Extra Points. You know, you came out with that during a pandemic. Entering college athletics, you know, you got a really strong background, have a great career. You know, talk to us about getting started with extra points.
1: Sure. Well, first, thanks. Thanks so much for having me. I'm I'm always happy to ah uh, to talk about this kind of thing. It's that we we have been blessed to live in very interesting times in college athletics, both for for good or for ill, and and that's kind of how. You know, I, I look at launching Extra Points, you know, this, this would not be the circumstances I think I would have picked to really, you know, stake out of my own and, and try to build a company here, what with the, the world being a little bit on fire. But it's also in some ways been uh, a good thing, right? So so Extra Points r- seeks to really dig down and talk about all of the forces off the field, that shape what fans and other people experience on the field. And, you know, right now, we're in a world where some of the major stories are how schools are, are, are trying to figure out name, image, and likeness, and what that looks like at a political level or a practical level. How schools are handling an enormous financial disruption, which looks very differently from a, a major you know, state flagship institution to maybe a tuition-dependent Division three institution. Um, the very nature of, of what a university wants to get out of their athletic department. Do we look at this as a, as a, a ploy to increase enrollment? Is it to improve uh, student uh, uh, re- retention? Is it to ingratiate ourselves with donors and and political elites? Is it is it a marketing ploy? Is it all of the above? You know, assumptions that maybe a school might have had about any of that stuff are now changing. And and this isn't anyone's fault, necessarily, but because there's been so many media layoffs, if you're a beat writer, you might not have time to really deeply think about some of these things because you also now are a one person shop and you have to handle the depth chart and the coaching press conference and the recruiting and all those other things. So I'm trying to say, like, this is my niche. These these background forces are what I really want to focus on. And I've been fortunate, I think, in that there's, there's an audience for it. And that audience has stepped up and and supported me and, and uh, for good or for ill, I definitely do not have any lack of things to write about right now.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And and that's kind of the exciting part. I think, you know, we're looking at it the same way, you know, with, with chaos comes opportunity. And, you know, there's, there's a lot going on right now and a lot to figure out. So uh, we're excited to kind of be a part of it. And it's been cool to see you kind of, Show your feedback and and show your story. So you got started with extra points not long ago, and you teamed up with the Intercollegiate, which is you know a known reputable source for a lot of things in college athletics. Talk to us about how that kind of came to be and and what that alignment is like.
1: Yeah, sure. So the uh, you know, Intercollegiate's run by a reporter named Daniel Livitt. He's also a Chicago area guy and somebody I got to know. About two years ago, because you both share a mutual interest in really using state open records laws to supplement reporting around college athletics. I I think both some reporters and a lot of fans forget that most of these athletic departments belong to public institutions, which means that how they do business, what their contracts look like, what their communication looks like the, you know, taxpayers should have an interest in it. They're, they're state entities. And you can use those records laws to, to get information about how those departments are actually run. Daniel and I, I think, have some different philosophies about what the, the nut and bolts of, of what kinds of work you want to do. I mean, he's a more a long form investigative journalist guy. And you know, I'm, I'm a blogger by trade. I'm most comfortable writing in that 1,600 to 3,000 word spot. But we're both really aligned in the tools. And the hope was through this partnership that we can use our the kinds of work that we do to supplement each other and to help you know grow each other's brands and tell better stories. We worked together pretty closely a, a lot when uh, that partnership was first announced. You know, uh, things are looking maybe a little bit different now, just financially about about what that partnership looks like. But I, I think I think it was it's been a productive, an important relationship in the beginning, it brought legitimacy and audience to both parties and shows that there's there's different ways in, to approach storytelling about this
0: topic um, through even the same reporting tools. Yeah, I, I love seeing what you guys have done there, too, and, and we've talked about it. You know, there's no one that's really capitalized on that audience that really is interested in the background of these shoe and apparel deals or MMR deals, kind of how they came to be, what's unique about them, and kind of where that world is going. Talk about one of, one of your more popular stories. D1 program moves to a non-Nike Under Armour Adidas school, Maine Athletics. We thought that was a really interesting story. Give us a little more context about that. Sure.
1: You know, it, it's funny. I think this was last year. Maine Athletics releases the schedule graphic, which goes viral because it's it's a big offensive lineman, his big belly's showing, and he's wearing number sixty-nine, which of course is is Twitter bait and everything, right? And so everyone retweets it and shares it. And oh, I mean Maine's got great uniforms too. It's 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 a it's a funny thing. But if you look a little bit carefully at that uniform, instead of a swoosh or a jump man or the, the the three stripes, you see new balance. Uh, and, and that kind of went under the radar a little bit. But you know, seeing that got me thinking because my understanding, and this is not a pejorative towards New Balance because I am a mid-30s dad, but I had kind of assumed that that was the dad shoe brand rather than a brand that was you know, aggressively into athletic apparel like maybe some other companies were. But as, as I started doing other research into, into shoe deals and also building more sources within Maine or within the, the colonial athletic, you know, I, it, I discovered that this really is the only deal. That isn't with a big three apparel company right now. There's a good reason for it because New Balance has a bunch of factories in Maine. They have a long uh, working relationship with not just that, you know, the athletic department, but the university as a whole. Maine does a couple of cool things for, for New Balance. It, it, it makes sense on a lot of levels. And so you know, I wanted to highlight, hey, one of the really cool things about college athletics to me is because all of these schools are so different that they can really chart completely different paths to find to find success, right? Like you can't build your football team just like Alabama because you can't recruit like Alabama and you don't have more money than God like Alabama and you're not in Alabama like Alabama. So if you try to be Alabama, you're not going to succeed. So if you're Maine, do you have to replicate Boston College or Alabama or the Patriots? No. If you have a, a partnership that's a little bit different or unique but makes sense based on your circumstances and your history, you should do it and And on paper, it looks like that that's the case here. and I, I think that's an interesting story, not just that you're a Maine fan, but if you're a fan of a school that might share some similarities with Maine. and this shows that hey you 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 have the license, the freedom to do things a little bit differently and and it's okay,
0: sure sure and you know you've done a lot of research between you and your partner you've put out a lot of research out there publicly which which I know a lot of people are appreciative of and then you wrote this in-depth article you you know based on this I know you touched on it in the article but you know what does the future look like for college athletics as it relates to shoe and apparel contracts
1: yeah i, I think i think this is an interesting question because the the future depends both on the university needs and what this marketplace looks like you know it, it wasn't that long ago when lots of different companies were involved in the collegiate apparel uh space it wasn't just adidas nike and under armor right like Reebok uh did stuff champion did stuff um there's probably three or four apex other companies
0: starter like, A- sure. apex. Um, apex
1: definitely created some memorable uniforms <laughs> like we can apex yeah Apex killed it. And so, like, there's there's no Moses didn't come down with the stone tablet that says it only has to be these three companies. And over the future, if New Balance wanted to carve out a niche for themselves, or if another company, I mean, honestly, if Amazon or Fanatics or somebody that already has a really robust vertical like supply chain decided that they wanted to enter this side of the business, I think they could. And I, I think if you're a school, particularly if you're a revenue challenged institution right now, maybe the current arrangement that you've been using for the past 15 years isn't necessarily what you have to do in the future. I, I think in general, if you are not an institution that that has like a gajillion dollar athletic endowment, maybe as you renegotiate that deal, if you're willing to put forth a little bit more effort on your end to think creatively, there, there may be ways for you to be able to look at some of these partnerships and get things out of them that maybe you didn't before. It's not just, okay, we're just we're gonna we're not gonna think about this deal. We're gonna go get some discounted bats, balls, and gloves. Maybe that there are ways for you to get actual cash up front, or to to sacrifice some of your inventory in exchange for uh, unique, different uniforms that that go viral or, or give you exposure that you might not otherwise have. Like because there's 300 schools just at the D1 level, um, I think there's space to be creative, especially as potentially other companies decide they can enter this market too.
0: I could not agree more. Um, I think it's gonna be really interesting to see who kind of decides to get involved in, in the college space. It it could look like a major opportunity to some, but you know, it could be a complete dumpster fire disaster to others. I definitely see both sides of the coin. It also
1: it also depends on on, on the business needs, right? Like I, I could see an argument for a, a business deciding we want to enter the collegiate athletic space. By making some big splashes and signing big power five programs and we're going to overspend to kind of force our way into the market but you arguably is what Under Armour did a couple of years ago that might be more risky now <laughs> especially because the way that apparel the retail system looks now is different than it was in 2014 but college athletics is a big industry and there's money to be had um and and I, I think a real a real business to be had at some of these smaller schools and so if you're a company that's that's willing to do that, um, then there might be a big opportunity. I think if you want to muscle in and and try to go take over, you know, take over the next Auburn on the market, that's going to require both patience and a level of capital that probably not a ton of companies can do right now.
0: That's right. And, you know, like you said, Alabama has, you know, more money than God and, but then you got a program like Maine that comes in and wants to make a splash, but yet do something authentic to Maine partner with a company right in their backyard. I was going to try to dig into that. Like, where's the sweet spot of either teams or conferences or levels that you see that are going to make the first jump to do something kind of untraditional like this?
1: You know, I I think one of the things that helps Maine, right, is that um, arguably their revenue sport, the, the sport that is the most important for the athletic department, is their hockey program. You know, no disrespect to Maine football, which has been a, a pretty competitive FCS team, but in terms of, like, where they're getting their ticket revenue and where their highest fan engagement is, that's hockey. And, you know, New Balance with with their Warrior brand um, has a lot
0: of experience
1: in in hockey and a lot of credibility in hockey and understands how to work with a hockey-focused institution. So, you know, if I was a, a low-major school that – really specialize in a particular Olympic sport. I, you know, for one, I think there might be some space within college baseball. Some of these schools here in the South were there, and it might make sense to, to look at a, a smaller company that can really say, hey, listen, you know, we, we don't have the size or the depth of Nike, but we understand your passion and your sport the best, and we're willing to go give you a different customer experience, or do something different for you, and what matters with you the most. There are some schools, I think, where that's true for wrestling. There are some schools where that's true with volleyball. And, you know, if I had to guess, if you're a a, a smaller institution, that might be, if I was going to partner with a different kind of company, that might be where I'd look.
0: Right. So taking it a step back, you know, I know we dove into shoe and apparel, you know, MMR, NIL. A couple different acronyms that kind of fill out what's what's about to happen with college sports. You know, you've really taken an approach which we've appreciated of total transparency and kind of telling it like it is. Who's who's really your target audience, and and where do you try to tap into the most? You you know, for example, you've got you've got a couple different articles in a couple different spaces. Obviously, college athletics is your north star, but but why you know why keep it so real, and and who are you trying to keep it real for? <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's it's a good question, and if if you're a publisher, or quite frankly, if you're a school,
1: and you don't really know who you who you who you're selling to, who your audience is, you, I think you can run into trouble. So, for me, you know, I, I I look at my my people as falling into two groups, and one of them, and I say this with absolute love, they're nerds, right? <laughs> the, the, the people that are that are diving deep into the college football subreddit, and who have newspapers.com subscriptions. And listen to the College Football Nerd podcast, and people who bought my College Football Nerd book, like there, there is a subset of folks who are just so diehard that they they are curious to know how the finances work. They want to know about something interesting at Division three, and that group isn't huge. It's not big enough, I think, to run a display ad focused business catering towards, but it is big enough that you can run a subscription focused business towards, and and they are who is in the back of my mind as I'm writing. The other group of, of, of people, and this is one that's grown, I think, over the past couple of months, are those who work in this industry. There's a lot of people who are either athletic directors or conference commissioners or have senior you know, positions within college athletics who read Extra Points. Um, and uh, you know, the people who, who need to know what's going on in this industry and are looking for different voices. And I really appreciate that support. There are also people who are studying it. Um, I have a, a pretty large number of readers who are academics, people who study sports management, sports business, sports finance, sports media, and they're various undergraduate students, and they're looking for places to talk about their their work and their studies, and where folks are willing to talk about these issues. I think seriously, but not necessarily from a pure advocacy standpoint. Like, I'm not going to lie to you guys or any of my readers to say that I'm completely unbiased. I'm absolutely not. Like there, there are definitely, I have opinions about how college athletics should be run and, 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 and good kinds of decisions. And I try to be very transparent with that with my audience. But I also, I, I'm, I'm trying really hard not to preach to you. And I think the best way to, to demonstrate uh, if I want, if I'm trying to convince you to my point of view or just to show you what's going on is to be very transparent and say like, here's how everything works. And if you're reading my newsletter, I think you're pretty smart <laughs> and you can connect the dots yourself. Um, <laughs> and, and so that's 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 that, that's what I'm trying to do, right? If if we just pull back the curtains and say, like, here's the math, here's what people are thinking, here's the thought process behind these decisions, I will leave it to you if you want to decide if those if that was a, a wise thought process or not. Like, I don't I don't have to do
0: that thinking for you. If if I did, I would charge you more money. I like that business model. Well, I mean, you're an Ohio State guy, so it's pretty hard for me to believe that you're not biased. In, uh, in certain different avenues, so
1: I'm not gonna I'm not yeah. gonna run from it. Like that's 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 what it is. I tell I tell you all that up front.
0: You're transparent about it, so that's good. So publication-wise in college athletics, where do you see the opportunity the most? And you know, I think you're already attacking it. But for for those that don't know, you know, where's the biggest opportunity there? That's that's, that's a good question, and and
1: I. I I am saying this again, not to bash anybody, but I, I think it's a, it is a function of um, what's required. We've seen so many, unfortunately, you know, job cuts within local newspapers and some of these mid markets, both in sports departments and general news desks. And unfortunately, a lot of those mid markets are where college football programs or college basketball programs are based. So if you used to have a four-person sports desk, you know, I'm just picking a city out of a at random here, like in Starkville. And now you have a one-person sports desk. You don't have the time, capacity, or manpower, no matter how interested you are in some of the financial or political or cultural angles So the football program. Because you've got to you gotta be able to still hit that, that the nuts and bolts of news. And so part of where I think there's an opportunity here is because unfortunately this industry's changed. There's not as many people covering this beat. And I think this beat is important. It's it's illuminating, it's perhaps even more important now since we had so many months where there weren't any any sporting events, and so the only story was what's happening off the field, and that's a place where I can slide in here. There's there are I'm I'm excited to see that there are a couple of other specialty publications that are stepping into this role. There's some good newsletters. There's I think Sports Business Journal is an excellent resource. I think Sportico is an excellent resource. Um, I I think that there are national newspapers that have done a good job here as well. Um, and for me, I could say you know i can 't obviously replicate what sports Business Journal does because i 'm one guy, but I also don 't charge as much as sports business Journal does um, and I have a more narrow focus than, than some of these other places and i i, I can 't be everything
0: to everybody, but I feel optimistic that I can be something to enough people where this becomes a sustainable business well we agree that 's why uh, that 's why we got you on here because we uh we 're a believer in it, and you know we think the approach is right. Do you think there's a way or a model or maybe you've already built it to help individual schools specifically that you work with?
1: You know, I, I, I'm not selling a ton right now to athletic de- departments. I, I, there's, I have a couple of one-offs. Most of the formal relationships have been on the academic side. Uh, you and know, I, I can tell you I'm, I'm not, I'm not opposed to it. I, you know, any anytime you formally enter into some kind of commercial relationship or consulting arrangement with an entity that you might cover, you know, that makes things more complicated as a, as a journalist. Um, but you know, if if there was an athletic department that had questions or if there was ways that I could share some information that there was ways to be an asset, um, I I pick up the phone to anybody who calls. Um, I, I, you know, I think ideologically, really believe in trying to be as helpful as possible to universities. Because while I am a college football fan and a college sports fan, I'm also a college fan. Like I, I'm a, I'm a second generation American and I view part of the reason that, you know, I'm in a position where I am now as I think because of what a land grant university did for my immigrant mother and, and did for our family. I recognize how important these institutions are for their communities and for a lot of other you know populations that look at this as a way of getting ahead in this country. So if there are ways that extra points can help with a just a student newspaper or a sports management department or with undergrads or with, with I want to do it. And like I, I I discount my subscriptions heavily to to schools. And if there are ways where that makes sense on the athletic side, I'm I'm always happy to have that conversation.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, I don't think you know, even on campus, I don't think there's enough of of a connection between athletics and academics. No. And I think the way you've kind of seen that and are trying to put that together, you know, it makes sense. You're kind of the perfect medium for that. So hopefully some fruit bears with some of those relationships and conversations.
1: Yeah, I I, I hope so too. I I just very
0: broadly, you know, one of the things I've
1: really learned from doing this project is that I don't think people in higher ed generally talk enough to each other, certainly between athletics and academics, which I think are often portrayed as enemies. I, honest to God, don't think that that has to be the case. Like there's, there's, there are, I think a couple of professors in universities are doing innovative things, bringing those things together. But if we're going to, to get up with a straight face and tell people that part of the reason we do college sports is to provide a student experience to those athletes, then by God, we should do it. And, and and we should we should we should do it well. And there's there's ways that both of those parties can can learn and teach each other. Um, and then from school to school, and from school to community, and community to athletic department. Like a, a lot of people aren't doing a good job of really conveying what they need from each other, and what they want to see, and what's important. And that's where you lead to hurt feelings, or you lead to miscommunications and and problems. And like I I, I can't sit here and say I have the, the solution to all of that. But if I was to think of like a couple of you know, broad themes that have come up again and again and again in my work. You know, that's that's one of them. But the beauty of these schools is that you have so much human expertise all in one place. Why not? Why not use it? Like that, that can make all your decision making in general so much better.
0: Very true. Yeah, there there's a lot of strong academic brands and a lot of strong athletic brands, and to combine the two and and partner up. You would think the platform and the exposure would be even greater. I agree. It doesn't happen enough, which is which is kind of crazy.
1: are a real thing.
0: <laughs> for sure. You know, even, even on campuses, you know, the most prestigious of campus, you know, Cal Berkeley. Incredible, oh, sure. you know, athletic tradition. And then the academic institution. and And to think that an institution like that with an athletic program like that can't partner for the greater good just shows the opportunity that's out there, you know?
1: Yeah, the, the, I, that, that's a great example. The one I like to think of is, is down at Tulane. Hey, Tulane's got one of the best sports law programs in the country. Right. You have absolute experts there. You have a a, a really a, a great school has a lot of connections, not just in New Orleans but throughout the South. If you're going to look at name, image, and likeness, or if you're looking at how are what are ways that I can you know, share this information with my athletes to help them become more employable in the future. You don't have to go bring in a consultant, you just have to go cross the street. You have you have those people right. there. And I, I think they're doing a better job of trying to bring everybody together. And and honestly, most professors would love to share that information. Everyone loves to feel validated and that their that their expertise is, is useful.
0: There's there's ways
1: certainly to enrich what you're doing athletically and, and the other way around too.
0: Right. It's a good point. So just wrapping up. Wanted to get your hottest college football take on the field, off the field, coach, team related, kind of whatever it is, NIL coming, hottest college football take. What do you got? I think, I think my absolute hottest
1: one, like the one that people tend to get the most mad about is I think Division One has way too many teams. And there are, are a ton of schools that just have no business pretending that, that they are competing for the same kind of anything as an Ohio State or an Alabama or, or even... Uh, you know, a Cincinnati, for that matter. And when you are a school that is predominantly funded by student fees or institutional transfers, so if you're a school that is serving uh, a non-traditional learner population or a, a first-time college student, first-generation college student population or an urban population, to take money and, and spend it from student fees to funnel a, a basketball program that's never going to win anything, I don't think that's just bad policy. Like, I think it's actually immoral the division if division one lost 50 schools tomorrow or 45 schools tomorrow because and, and athletic directors and presidents realized that they were pursuing a division one agenda primarily out of ego rather than really serving their students i don't think that any of the student experience or the commercial product or anything would, would decrease in any way and you would have uh, schools making more sensible financial decisions like i, I think in a perfect world and we saw this with the Knight Commission you know, recently. There's some appetite for radical you know, organizational reform of this structure. Um, I think what I would propose is probably more radical than what they would want to do.
0: Very interesting. I think maybe on the next episode, I'll have you list out those specifically teams that you think shouldn't be able to be in Division One. But uh, for now, we'll just wrap it up on that. I think it's a great take. Really appreciate all the takes that you kind of provided today. You know, Varsity, we're a big fan of Extra Points, and we're looking forward to seeing what you do in the future.
1: Hey, hey listen, I, I really appreciate it. I I love uh, I love talking about this stuff. So uh, anybody else that's, that's interested in, in where this world is going, um, I'd love to talk with you, whether that's with Extra Points or on a different platform.
0: Awesome, Matt. Thanks again for coming by today and uh, looking forward to seeing what's next. Okay. Thanks. Thank you, fellas. All right, that'll do it. I want to thank you all for listening to the From the Rafters podcast, brought to you by Varsity Partners. We'll see you next time.